Hello and welcome to another episode of My Favorite Trees. My name is Thomas and I love trees. It has been brought to my attention that there is a traditional Jewish holiday that takes place this week called Tubishvat, or Tree New Year. Full disclosure, I'm not Jewish, but I can't not participate in a Tree New Year, come on! I wanted to make an episode about this holiday, but I didn't want to break my formula of focusing on a specific tree species. I'll go into more depth about the holiday towards the end, but a big part of it involves eating fruits and nuts that come from trees that are important to Israel and Jewish faith. So I chose one of these important fruit trees with a truly extensive history. This episode is about the pomegranate tree. The pomegranate is one of the earliest cultivated fruits that holds cultural significance across Europe, Africa, and Asia, and is still held in high esteem thanks to dietary science of the modern age. Let's learn about the long journey of the pomegranate and about what exactly this tree new year entails. Let's start with what a pomegranate tree looks like. It's a small tree. If left to its own devices, it is short and multi-stemmed and has a really bushy appearance. Honestly, it's more of a shrub. But plants can be cultivated to take on a number of shapes and sizes, and the pomegranate is generally bred as a single stem small tree growing up to 20 feet tall, and in rare cases up to 30 feet tall. That'll be around 6 to 9 meters. I also don't want to fully exclude shrubs from this podcast. They are also woody plants, and there's some really cool ones out there that I'd love to tell you about. So picture a short, fairly tree-shaped tree, if that makes sense. Like, when I was a kid and I had some crayons, I'd draw a tree. And I'd draw just a line for the stem. Uh, In this case, the color would be yellow-brown to maybe grayish. And just a, a green circle for the crown. And that's honestly kind of what a pomegranate tree looks like. I'm, I'm not trying to be lazy. The trunk isn't very big, and the branches that are in the crown are small and numerous, which gives it a really round, bushy appearance. And the leaves are just the most generic leaves I've ever seen. As a botanist, I'm just seeing little green ovals. I don't have anything special to say about them, like how the maple looks like an open hand, or the aspen is round like a coin, or the magnolia is thick and glossy. In most places, the leaves are deciduous, but in parts of India, they actually are evergreen because the climate allows this, and in those cases, the leaves will be a little bit thicker. The flowers are pretty cool, though. They're very, very red, and kind of bell-shaped with the face of the flower looking like a star. In some cases, the pomegranate is actually bred as an ornamental to showcase these really lovely late spring, early summer flowers. But let's go ahead and cut to the chase. We're here for the fruit. The pomegranate is common enough that most folks would recognize it, but essentially it just looks like an apple with a little crown. And the association of the apple and the pomegranate is one that's been made throughout history. The color can vary from yellowish pink to solid red to black, a lot like many apple varieties. They're about the size of a large apple, but they'll vary from baseball to softball size, which I realize is a very American description. But it's the size that I really love because of its proportion to the tree. The tree is essentially miniature, but these fruits can get pretty big. So you have these little tiny trees, 
uh, with these big red orbs on them, it looks really silly. <laughs> but it's when you cut it open that you'll say, oh yeah, that's a pomegranate. The inside of the pomegranate is separated into multiple chambers, each chamber stuffed with several seeds coated in these edible juicy casings. These edible casings also vary in color, anywhere from white to red. And these variations come from different cultivars, like how sugar maples can be bred for fall foliage. Different cultivars, meaning cultivated varieties, but ultimately the same plant species. And that species is Punica granata. Punica is in relation to the ancient empire known as Phoenicia, or Carthage, that spanned the northern coast of Africa between around 900 and 100 BCE. It was referred to as such in Latin because once upon a time, Romans thought that Carthage was where this fruit came from. It's where they got it, after all. By the time botanists realized that wasn't where the fruit was native to, the names were so closely associated that it was stuck forever. Granata is from the Latin for grainy, as one of its previous names was Malum Granata, meaning grainy apple. The comparison, as I said, was common throughout history. And the common name pomegranate actually means the same thing. Old French pomegranate also means grainy apple. And this isn't the only time the French describe something as being a weird apple either. One French translation of potato is pomme de terre, which means ground apple. But it's really funny that pomme is in the name. Botanically, a pomme is a type of fruit that has a fleshy exterior and a tough cartilaginous interior that protects the seeds. An apple is an example of a poem, so that translation makes sense. But the pomegranate, beneath its leathery shell, is fleshy all the way to the seeds, which technically makes it a berry and not a poem. When I said this was funny, I meant it was funny to me and other nerds. That's it. Anyway, Punica granata used to be in its own family, Punicaceae, with just one other species, Punica protopunica. This one other species is only found on an island off the coast of Yemen, and is actually really cool. Because the pomegranate, as we know it, is cultivated. This means that we have artificially selected traits and essentially made it its own species ourselves. Punica protopunica is believed to be what the pomegranate bush was like before humans decided it was good for eating, but it could be better. It's small, shrubby, thorny, and the fruits don't taste very good. They're really sour. Overall, not a fun plant. But since the advancement of plant genetics research, it has been moved into the loose strife family, Lythraceae, with loose strifes, if you're familiar with that flower, and some old world mangroves. But where did our modern pomegranate tree come from? The pomegranate's native range is considered to extend from Iran, across Central Asia, and into northern India around the Himalayas. And in that region, there are wild pomegranate trees, or bushes really, growing there. But the trees are now cultivated wherever the climate is dry and hot, which is just what this plant is into. That would include southern Europe, northern Africa, the Middle East, throughout its native range, all the way to China and Southeast Asia. U.S. pomegranates are grown in California, Texas, and sometimes Arizona. I actually worked at a park in southern Arizona where we grew a pomegranate on our back porch. And at this point, it's been naturalized across the southern hemisphere as well, in parts of South America, Southern Africa, and Australia. But how did pomegranates go from being thorny bushes with sour fruits in Central Asia to such a widespread crop? And also, what does any of this have to do with Tree New Year? Buckle in, it's a long story. 
The pomegranate is said to be one of the first fruits cultivated by humans, meaning planted and bred for our consumption. We have direct evidence of pomegranate cultivation taking place 5,000 years ago from carbonized rinds that were found in Israel, Lebanon, and Armenia. But further evidence from cultural texts suggests humans have been domesticating pomegranates as far back as the Neolithic era, the very dawn of agriculture. As for what the first cultivated fruit was, that's still up for debate. It's often thought that the first cultivated fruit was whatever the forbidden fruit in the Garden of Eden was. Many argue that this was a fig, and I mentioned this appearing in John Milton's works in my Banyan episode, although I didn't go into the history of cultivated figs at that time. I don't know about you, but I always grew up hearing that the forbidden fruit was an apple, and this could be for a number of reasons. Maybe because the apple is arguably the most recognized fruit in the world and children associate with it easily. Maybe because the apple itself is also considered one of the earliest cultivated fruits. But could it also not be in reference to the apple at all, but the apple of Carthage, the Punicum granatum, our friend, the pomegranate? But let's start that journey, and do be aware that I am skimming across thousands of years. If I included everything, we'd be here for an hour, and while I know some of you are into that, I am not. But we'll begin with those carbonized rinds indicating that the pomegranate was cultivated around Iran, and by the Bronze Age had spread throughout the Middle East and the Caucasus. Fast forward to around 1600 BCE, and we see the pomegranate arriving in Egypt, where it became an important food source, medicine, and dye. From there, it spread across northern Africa, and this is how it became associated with Carthage. From Carthage, it was taken to Rome around 700 BCE, when Rome was just a little baby republic. It would have spread to Greece around the same time and manner as it appears in prominent Greek myths of that era. Around the same time, meaning within centuries, it started to move eastward as well. The Buddha in present-day Nepal was said to hold the pomegranate as one of the three most important fruits, next to the peach and the citron. And as Buddhism spread across India and into East Asia, so too did the pomegranate. It was likely carried to China along the famous trading route, the Silk Road. By 200 BCE, the pomegranate has now spread as far as Mongolia, as archaeologists have found charred seeds in a Mongolian tomb, likely to be from a pomegranate dating that far back. So the pomegranate has now been established from the Mediterranean all the way to the Far East. And we're going to zoom on into the Common Era. Fast forwarding quite a bit to around the year 1300, Islamic Moors from northern Africa invade Spain and establish the city of Granada. The Spanish word for pomegranate is Granada, so this could be the origin of the city's name. Or it could also be a variation of a Moorish word, possibly meaning Hill of Strangers. Either way, the pomegranate was featured on quite a bit of art and architecture of the time, and the modern emblem of Granada features a pomegranate. So I'm inclined to lean towards the fruit. Between Islamic Spain, Rome, and Greece, the fruit spread across Europe. It's featured in many art pieces from the Renaissance era and pervaded royal culture, likely because of its religious importance, which I will get to. But while it's spreading throughout Europe, the pomegranate is also spreading further throughout Southeast Asia. I'm sure trading happened before this, but in 1416 we see the first reports of pomegranates being grown down in Indonesia. Around 1521, pomegranates were taken all the way to the New World and were planted after Cortes conquered the Aztecs in Mexico. From there, it spread north into modern-day Texas and California over the next few hundred years. 
At this point in the timeline, it's safe to say that pomegranates are now cultivated worldwide. And the rest, as they say, is history. But this was all history, so I don't know why they say that. Nowadays, pomegranates are as big as ever. They're still loved as a tasty food, but modern medicine has confirmed that pomegranates are actually really good for you. Oftentimes, ancient remedies don't hold up to modern medical scrutiny, but the pomegranate turned out to be legit. The fruit is super high in antioxidants, which protect cells from damage and also help with and prevent diseases like cancer, heart disease, diabetes, and more. The pomegranate has been on a long journey, but that's still not the whole story. As I've been trying to stress with every tree, there is always deeper value to be found in these plants than just how economically important they are. Trees, and the fruits they bear, play key roles in defining human culture, religion, and history. Throughout the whole timeline I laid out, just about every country, empire, and kingdom the pomegranate touched adopted the fruit into their culture. Personally, I don't understand why some cultures will fixate on specific things so strongly, but several societies and religions went all in on the pomegranate. One of the most prominent and consistent symbols associated with the pomegranate is that of fertility. Which is kind of on the nose, the fruit is chock full of many seeds. It plays that role in Hindu culture in India. It's a symbol that's also seen in China thanks to Buddhism. The Buddha associates the pomegranate, the peach, and the citron with many suns, many years, and happiness, respectively. And in Armenia, newlyweds may scatter the seeds of a pomegranate as hope to have many children. Azerbaijan considers it to be the king of fruits, considering it has a little crown on it. I feel like that association is low-hanging fruit, pun fully intended, but you know. And I'll touch on just a few more countries, but I really could go on with so many cultures, both alive and dead. Iran associates the pomegranate with the Islamic notion of paradise. It used to be that the whole pomegranate came from paradise, but nowadays it's more common of an idea that just one of the fleshy seed balls in each fruit, they're called arils by the way, came directly from paradise. So an Iranian Muslim would not want a single arrow to fall to the ground because it could be that that was the one that came from paradise. And this connection goes back all the way to the ancient Persian Empire, where the warriors reportedly had spears with gold or silver pomegranates on the butt ends instead of a traditional point. I'm really curious about what that change would do to the aerodynamics of the spear and the weight distribution, because these were weapons used in war by the immortals, not just ceremonial. Anyway, alongside life, we see this association of the pomegranate with death. Many cultures firmly place death as simply another part of life, or the beginning of an afterlife. The death association is very present in several Greek myths, the most famous one being the story of Persephone. Persephone was the daughter of Demeter, goddess of grain and harvest. One day, she was kidnapped by Hades and brought down to his domain, the underworld, so they could be married. Her mom Demeter got so sad that the crops just stopped growing for a while, and this greatly upset just about everyone. Persephone had to not eat the entire time she was down there, because the rule is that if you eat underworld food, then you're stuck in the underworld. Zeus eventually got sick of there not being crops, so he made Hades give Persephone back to her mom. But before she left, Hades convinced her to eat a pomegranate seed, or a few seeds depending on the story. This made it so that Persephone would return to the underworld for three to six months out of the year, again depending on the story. And for those months, Demeter gets sad again, which is why winter is a thing. 
this story shows the association of pomegranates with death, but also with marriage. Women who lived in Rome back when it was a republic were said to wear headdresses made of pomegranate twigs to signify their marital status. Moving on to Christianity, the pomegranate was used to symbolize eternal life, especially so with Jesus' resurrection. Life is a theme pretty closely tied to fertility, as fertility is new life. On top of that, the sweet seeds are supposed to be symbolic of the sweetness of heaven, similar to the Iranian connection of the fruit with Islamic paradise. I'm finishing up with Judaism, because that creates a nice segue into the Jewish tree new year. But before I do, I just want to mention that the pomegranate doesn't just exist in symbols and stories, but in art, architecture, fashion, and flags. If you were to visit these places where the pomegranate was grown thousands of years ago, any sort of ancient structure remains could very well depict the pomegranate. Like I said, I'm not sure why cultures get so deeply invested in specific symbols, but so many cultures are really into the pomegranate. And like so many cultures, the pomegranate is again seen as very important in Jewish faith and history. This possibly started back when Moses freed his people from Egypt and traveled for decades in search of the promised land. When scouts first came upon the land of Canaan around modern-day Israel, they were able to prove its fertility by bringing back olives, dates, and pomegranates. A lot has happened since then, and I'm skipping over most of it. But one of the more important events was King Solomon constructing the first temple in Jerusalem, with pillars bearing depictions of pomegranates. Jewish priests wore robes with pomegranates hemmed on them, and Torah scrolls have pomegranates depicted on them. The pomegranate, along with the olive and date, became a part of what is known as the seven species. The seven species are wheat, barley, grape, fig, pomegranates, olive, and date. These are considered the seven most important food sources in Israel, and are staples of Israeli diet. When it came to making offerings in temple, the seven species were the options for offerings you could make. They are prominent features in seders, which are ritual feasts or meals that you would have during holidays, like Tubishvat. So what is Tubishvat? The name translates to the 15th of the Hebrew month of Shavat, which corresponds with the start of spring. This usually aligns with the end of January or the beginning of February. Judaism holds nature, the land, and trees in high regard. It's God's gift to us to support us. There is a rule of sorts in the Jewish faith that says a fruiting tree must be allowed to fruit untouched for three years. I assume this is to give the tree time to reproduce. The fourth year, all of the fruit is tithed to God in thanks for the gift of sustaining nature. From the fifth year on, it is okay to eat the fruit of the tree. Tubishvat is used as a tree new year to set a consistent and collective date to mark the age of the trees. Nowadays, the holiday is mostly seen as a sort of Jewish Earth Day or Arbor Day. A common way to celebrate it would be to go out and plant trees. But practices can vary. Maybe you just have a small seder at home with friends where you eat fruits and nuts. But it can get pretty big. One of my friends was in Israel for a Tubishvat, and there were big parties where people threw fruits and nuts at each other. However you celebrate it, those fruits and nuts will be the traditional staples of Israel. Almonds, figs, dates, olives, and pomegranates. One more tradition with this holiday is to try a new fruit. Or at least a fruit that you haven't eaten this year. And friends, I've never eaten a pomegranate. My sister and I were weird kids growing up. We loved vegetables and hated fruit. As an adult, I've been working on trying new things though. 
and in celebration of Tubishvat of Tree New Year, I am going to try my first pomegranate right now. Alright, I'm just hitting record, and I'm going to edit everything out later. I have my pomegranate here. Um, it unfortunately doesn't have a little crown, it's just a little nubbin. Um, I guess I could have picked better, but I kind of went off of color and firmness. This one's a really nice, I don't know, garnet? I feel like that's a fun way to describe it, because it's pomegranate. This is a later edit, I looked up this fact after I finished recording the episode. Fun fact, garnet, the gemstone, gets its name from the pomegranate. You know, they found this gemstone, and they looked at the color and said, hey, this looks like a pomegranate. So, it's a good color to use. Um, first step to eating a pomegranate is to um, go to google.com and type in how to eat a pomegranate. Okay. How to pick a pomegranate. I did that. Cut the top off. I'm assuming the top is the part with the crown. I didn't cut enough off. Oh, goodness. I didn't hold it over the paper towels well enough. That is juicy. And I still didn't cut enough off. What the heck, Thomas? Okay, deeper. Oh, I'm, I'm just making a mess now. Oh, I don't want to clean this up later. Oh, it's sticky. This is why my sister and I hated fruit. We didn't like how sticky it was. Okay, I got it open. The seeds are really black. Those are dark seeds. Maybe I got a bad pomegranate. I don't know. Cut it by the chambers. Let's do that. I'm just going to cut one chamber out. I'm not going to cut the whole thing. Oh my goodness, this is such a mess. Oh, I didn't pull enough paper towels. Okay. Oh my goodness, this is foreign. Oh gosh. How do I eat this? Okay, you know what? I'm just going to put it in my mouth. Okay, that's fun. Okay. You know, I like that. I can get behind this. It's tart and sweet. Yeah. Yeah, you know what? I can get behind this. This is this is tasty. It's a little bit of a pain in the butt to just like um to just like eat every seed and spit it out. There was one culture. I want to say it was Armenia. Um, that said that there was around 365 seeds uh, to symbolize the number of days in a year. In, uh, in Jewish faith, there are supposed to be 613 seeds in a pomegranate um, to symbolize the 613 commandments in the Torah. Whatever number is correct, there's a lot of seeds in here. I feel like it would take me all day to eat this. Um, I'm going to stop there with this one. This was kind of a bad idea. My fingers are all sticky now. Okay. That was an experience. Oh, it's on my floor. Oh, gosh. Anyway, um, that was me eating a pomegranate for the first time. <laughs> I liked it. Um, I did. I've had, I, know, I mean, I know what pomegranate tastes like because grenadine, which is a, um, uh, which is a common mixer in, in, in cocktails, like a tequila sunrise. It's like a red syrup. Uh, or for those who are not of drinking age, uh, Shirley Temple uses grenadine. Uh, that's essentially pomegranate syrup. So I recognize the flavor. Uh, this is just this is just such such a such an event is is eating a pomegranate. Um, anyway, that's all I have. Special thanks to my Jewish friend for bringing this holiday to my attention and for sharing his experiences with me. Y'all should go try a fruit that you've never had before. Maybe go buy a pomegranate and eat one. Either way, happy Tubishvat, everyone. Happy Tree New Year. 
I want to thank all of you for listening to this podcast. If you have the time, leave a review on Apple Podcasts to help us grow. The music is by Academy Garden. You can find more of their stuff on Spotify, iTunes, SoundCloud, Bandcamp. Wherever good music exists, they are there. My cover art is by Brittany Burnett. Find her incredible photography on Instagram at BoomerangBrit. Find me on Twitter at MyFavoriteTrees and get updates on future episodes and extra goodies. If you'd like to thank me back, you can do so by donating to your favorite sustainable organization, some of which are listed on my website, mftpodcast.com. Now, go find a tree that you love and give it a hug. <laughs>